to her. Thanks for being here today with us. We are talking about the Holy Spirit today and how the Holy Spirit can renew your relationships. And I just believe this. God wants you to have good, healthy relationships in your life, and he's committed to helping you get there. And the Holy Spirit is instrumental in healthy relationships. Now, I know some of you, right, I I mentioned relationships, and you were thinking, that's right, Pastor Jared, this is going to be the year. The Holy Spirit is bringing a husband into my life. I'm, I'm believing it in the name of Jesus. Name it and claim it. Well, maybe. You know, I can't promise that for you, but I can promise that there are a couple of key relationships, healthy relationships, that God wants you to have. Let, let me just kind of share with you where, what those are, and uh, today we're going to get kind of clear on how the Holy Spirit comes into your life and helps you with that kind of thing. So here's the three relationships that I know God wants you to have. Number one is intimacy with the Father. Now, if you're a note taker, we've got some notes there in your program. They look like this, and you can write some things down today. The first relationship is intimacy with, the he- with your Heavenly Father. God wants you to know Him and be known by him. Not a surface level relationship, not a distant relationship, not a I've heard of him relationship, but eye to eye, face to face kind of relationship. The second healthy relationship is community with people of faith. So you've got some relationships with people of faith and you're walking together with them. Now listen, here's what I know. Some of you are not yet Christians. You're kind of here investigating things. Maybe a friend invited you or maybe just something inside of you said, you know what, I think maybe you know, I need to go to church And so you're here, or some of you are Christians, and your experience with the church hasn't been great, because let's face it, sometimes churches hurt people, you know, and some of you have been through that in your life, and you would say, man, I don't even know if I want that in my life, but here's what I believe, that God is committed to helping you have healthy relationships in a community of faith so that you can walk and grow together with some people that you can know and be known, serve and be served, love and be loved, healthy relationships with people that are going to encourage you and love you well and cheer you on in your faith journey. And the third relationship is influence with those who don't know God yet. So we have community with insiders. We have influence with outsiders. Again, if you're not a Christian, you might think, listen, buddy, I'm not there yet. I just showed up today. We're still going to see how it goes. But I think most of us know that um, we, it's better to be an influencer than to be influenced And we want to be the kind of person that is pouring life and and goodness and good things into the relationships around us and not just always receiving or being led off track by people in our lives. And um, here's kind of what I believe is that when you discover a relationship with your heavenly father, he starts to make you over time into the kind of person who influences those around you in a positive way. Whether they know God and have a relationship with God or not, God makes you an influencer. So, you know... Maybe you came in here today thinking, man, I really need relationships like that in my life, but chances are, you know, you weren't thinking of it in those terms when you came in here today, but all of us have felt the pain of not having those relationships in our lives. We've all been there before. You know what it's like when you don't have intimacy with God because everybody, I think, knows what it's like from time to time to feel distant from God. And maybe you're a a longtime Christian and you say, sometimes I feel like that. Or maybe you're in here today and you say, like, I always feel like that. I've heard about God. I do not feel close to God at all. That's what you feel when you have a lack of intimacy with your father. Maybe you see other people and for them, faith seems easy and vibrant and they sit in the front and they're hand raisers. You know who I'm talking about? And you're like, oh, look at them. They, They seem like they, but listen, just because you raise your hands during worship doesn't mean you always feel close to God. And maybe you feel distant from him. Or you've wondered if God hears your prayers. You ever been on that train where you're like praying for something and praying for something and praying for something 
and then it just doesn't come through, and you're like, God, what is, what is going on here? Or you, maybe you wonder if God really cares about you because of what you've been through in your life, and you think, man, God, let me go through that. I wonder if he's really there. I wonder if he really cares. And, and maybe if I went through what you went through, I would wonder the same thing. Is God really there? Does God really care? You may even believe that there's a God, but you just know there's no intimacy there. Or maybe, you know, you've felt the lack of true and meaningful community in your life. It's rare that we wake up and say, man, I really need community with people of faith. But we do sometimes wake up and say, man, I just feel lonely today. Like, I'm, I've got people in my life. You ever had that feeling where you're like, there's people all around me. There's coworkers that I joke with at work. And there's some people maybe that you even see on Sunday morning on, at church and you recognize their face. But then when it comes right down to it, you're like, man, I just don't know if I have any deep, meaningful friendships with people in my life. And on top of that, you know, you come out of college and relationship building is about a hundred times harder out of college than it was in college. You know why? Because you're all living together and you have all this free time on your hands. Now, college students don't actually think that. If you're in college today, here's what we hear. I'm so busy. I just have exams and all this kind of stuff. I just like so crushed busy. But really, all you have is time in the cafeteria with other people. And so that's why relationship building is a little bit easier in college. And then you get out and it gets harder. And if you get married, it gets doubly hard. You know why? Because you have to be friends with both the wife and the husband. And your wife's like, I met this lady. She's incredible. We're going to go over to their house and we're going we're, we're to have dinner with them. And you're like, I don't even like this guy. I don't want to talk to him. So you end up standing outside around the grill talking about football because, man, we got that in common at least. And you're just hoping that it gets better from there, right? And so it just gets, and then if you have kids, forget it shut it down, you come back to friends in about a decade. But, so it just gets more and more challenging as you go. And then when you do have relationships, sometimes they're fun, they're enjoyable, but rarely, if ever, do we have the kind of relationships in our lives where someone could call us out and call us up to a better way of living if that's really what we needed. But that's what we find in the community of faith. And lastly, we know the pain of, um, of being influenced more than we influence those around us. And, you know, we all know what it's like to find ourselves in a situation. Maybe it's an actual physical place, like a party, or, uh, or, and you're just like, how did I end up here? And it's because your, your friends out there are influencing you more than you're, you're influencing them. Instead of you calling them up, they're, they're pulling you down. And, and, and we know sometimes that we're just not a force for good in the lives of our friends, relatives, and associates, and neighbors, and people that we wish that we were influencing them in their lives, and we just are being influenced more than that. And maybe, maybe, maybe what you're missing in your life is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is committed to giving you these healthy relationships in your life. I mean, for some of you, you know, who are coming towards faith and investigating Christianity, I mean, you've tried other things, and it hasn't worked. Maybe what you're missing is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding and misinformation around the Holy Spirit, isn't there? I didn't grow up in church, and so some of you grew up in church, but a lot of you didn't grow up in church, so I came to faith a little bit later, um, as a late teenager, but, so still pretty young, but I just didn't grow up in church. And so when I came to church for the first time, everything was kind of weird to me. And people talked weird, and people dressed weird, and they were wearing Christian t-shirts that said God bucks instead of Starbucks. And I'm like, really? Like, is that? And they're like, it's evangelism, bro. It's t-shirt evangelism. And it's just so weird to me. But nothing, I just kind of confession time, nothing was weirder to me than when they started talking about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, bro, 
you're weirding me out. Because I just didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, even the words Holy Spirit. I wasn't big on holiness, not real big on spirits, you know, like I've watched the grudge. I'm not trying to get that in my life. And I, I just, it just was so strange to me. But I, I've come over the years, I've been a Christian for about 15 years now. I placed my faith in Jesus and come to realize that, man, having the Holy Spirit is just one of the greatest gifts you could ever have in your whole life. And I want, you, I want to get you to the place today where hopefully I bring some clarity into that. You know, my, my goal today is clarity because there's so much misunderstanding about that. Some people think the Holy Spirit's an impersonal force. Some people think the Holy Spirit is whatever it is that makes people act strange in church. But the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. And I want you to get a vision for that in your life. And I hope you even maybe get to the point that you long for it in your life. So that's what we're going to do today. And what I'm going to do is a little bit different than normal because I'm trying to get clear. We're going to have a lot of Bible today. We're going to have like a lot of Bible, right? So you're going to need, yep, hearing it from this side. That's where the, yeah, they're, they're, the hand raisers are over there. So pull out your teaching notes because we're going to go through a lot of verses. It's going to be almost impossible actually just even to keep up in your Bible unless you were in Awana and did sword drills, in which case... You know who you are. If you didn't grow up in church, that just sounded like gibberish. So pull out your notes. Now, before we dig into this, I do want to say uh, one other thing, uh, which is that as I was kind of, as I was preparing for this week, you know, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, as we talk about in Christianity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's, a, there's some serious mystery around the Trinity. What is that? How do you explain that? And I came across a five-minute video from the Bible Project this week that explains the Trinity, and it explains it visually and graphically. And I've been following Jesus. I, I mean, I'm a pastor, right? So I study this stuff for 15 years, and I watched that video, and I was like, whoa, mind is blown. So if you would like us to send you that video link this week so you can watch that five-minute video on who, who is the Holy Spirit and how does he fit into the Trinity, just check the box on the back of your connection card that says... Send me the video about the Holy Spirit, and then we'll send you a link to that so you can look it up later this week and can check out the other resources from the Bible Project. But okay, we're going to dig into the Bible on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to start here. Uh, let me share with you what no one shared with me. They said, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Nobody ever explained what that meant. So I want to explain to you, if I can, to the best of my ability, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? And this is so important. If you only remember one, today, one thing today, this is it. This is like 80% of the teaching. The Spirit is God's personal presence. Maybe write that down on the front of your teaching notes. The Spirit is God's personal presence. He shows up. Now, let me help make an analogy. When I walk into my house, I see signs of my wife Everywhere I go, I see that she cleaned downstairs because we had company coming over. I see that she left a piece of laundry out. I see a sweet note that she left me in the bathroom. I see signs of my wife everywhere I look. But a sign of her existence is not the same as having her personal presence right there with me. They're two different things. When I'm with her, I can look her in the eyes. I can see the way her nose bunches up when she smiles. I can enjoy being with her. I don't have her sign anymore. I have her personal presence. Well, in the same way, you might see signs of God everywhere you go. You might say, and I'm sure you've heard this, maybe you've said this, I experience God in nature. You ever heard someone say that before? Maybe you've thought it. And what that basically means is I see signs of God's presence when I look around in nature. I see his transcendence. I see, I, I see his power in the bigness of nature. 
You can see signs of God in your kids, in that sort of unconditional love with children. You can see signs of God in your, in your marriage. You can see signs that God is there when, when a friend or someone from the church kind of comes into your life at that perfect moment to encourage you and lift you up and keep you going. You can see signs of God everywhere. But seeing that God is around you is not the same than experience, as experiencing his personal presence. It's two different things. The Spirit is how God sends his personal presence to you. And this personal presence of God, the Spirit, shows up in the whole Bible. Not, it's not a New Testament thing like Jesus comes and so then all of a sudden it's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God shows up in Genesis in the second verse and all the way at the end of the Bible when you get to Revelation, five verses from the end of the Bible, you see the Spirit again. So let me show you the very beginning of the Bible Here is the first time we see the Spirit, God's personal presence, show up. Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Because when God's personal presence comes, there is, excuse me, there is life, there is creation, there's power, That's why the Spirit is there at creation, bringing life, creation, power. So the Spirit is God's personal presence involved in life-giving, involved in creation. But how do the biblical writers describe him? They use the word ruach. You have to clear your throat at the end of it. So turn to your neighbor and tell them ruach. Gross. It wasn't as gross as what I did, but... Ruach is how they describe him. It's, an, it's a Hebrew word that means breath or wind. All right, so you ready for this? This is the coolest part. Ruach is the invisible energy that makes clouds move or tree branches sway. What would you call that? Wind. Very good. Now, wind is ruach. Now, here's what I want you to do. Everybody with me, take a deep breath. Ready? Go ahead and do it. Do you feel that? What is that? It's breath. It's wind. But it's more than that. It's life. It's vitality. It it gives you life. And that word, the same word, is wind or breath. That's the word the biblical writers use to describe God's personal presence. Just like the wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Just like wind is powerful, God's spirit is powerful. Just like breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Now, this isn't in your notes, but you might want to write this down. The spirit of God is invisible, powerful, and life-giving. And that's why they use the word ruach to describe the spirit of God. He is invisible, powerful, and life-giving. That is God's personal presence. When God shows up, There's power. When God shows up, there's life from death. When God shows up, you can't see him, but you can sense his presence like the wind or like breath. Now, this invisible, powerful, life-giving spirit of God shows up throughout the Bible. Like I said, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. And what the spirit does in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is he empowers people for specific tasks. So the spirit gives power to people 
who need to do specific things. And uh, there's some examples where the Spirit gives people the power to lead an army. So there's these people called judges in the Old Testament. They're military leaders, and God's Spirit might come on the judge. Um, or there's, um, there's an example in the Bible where the Spirit empowers people for art, artistry, for artwork. Um, or he empowers the prophets. Now, I want to show you from the Bible, here's an example from the Old Testament of the Spirit of God empowering someone for a special job. Exodus 31, 2 through 3. Um, this is the second verse in your notes. It says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. This is God speaking. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. And so he's empowering this artist so that he can make beautiful, magnificent artwork for the tabernacle where God's presence dwells. But it's not just kings and military leaders that are empowered by God's spirit. It's also the prophets. And the prophet's job in the Old Testament is to see history from God's perspective. We often think that the prophet's job is to tell the future. But probably 95% of the time, the prophet's job in the Old Testament is to see history from God's perspective. And the prophets, when they look out at this whole world, they see this beautiful world that God created because God's spirit was there at creation and he gave life to everything. He created it out of nothing. And then God said it was good. And so they see this good, perfect, beautiful creation, but it's ruined by human evil. And so as humans participate in evil, there's this breakdown of society. There's this breakdown of decay and death enters this world and the prophets see this world ruined by human sin. So when the prophets look to the future, now this is really cool, they see a time when the Spirit of God is going to come again, but this time, instead of bringing life to the whole world, like he did in Genesis 1, he's going to bring life to the human heart. The Spirit will transform human hearts and therefore undo this evil that's happening all throughout the world. So... Let me give you an example of the prophets talking about this. This is from a prophet named Ezekiel, talking about a time when the Spirit will come again. And here's what he says. Um, again, this is kind of speaking from God's perspective. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. So he's talking about something like forgiveness of sin, where it's like that, that mess of your past and the evil that you've engaged in is going to be washed away. You know that feeling when you've been, um, you've been working outside and then you go inside and take a shower and you just finally feel clean? That's the feeling here. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. And what happens when he puts the spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So according to Ezekiel, there's a day coming in the future when God's Spirit will do heart-level work in the lives of people so that they can obey God from the heart. And this promise of Ezekiel brings us right up to the New Testament, to the time when this Spirit is going to come and do this work. And what we see when the New Testament starts is not exactly the arrival of the Spirit, it's the arrival of Jesus, which is surprising. Except that before Jesus does anything, before he teaches anyone, before Jesus starts his ministry, the first thing that happens in Jesus' public ministry when he's about 30 years old is a visual representation that God's spirit is with Jesus in a powerful way. 
And so when God's about to do this work of renewing human hearts, he's going to do it through Jesus, but it is Jesus with the Spirit. So let me show you. And I, I think also that's not a surprise that this is happening, because if you think about Jesus' ministry, Jesus' ministry is life-giving. He, you know, he often heals people. He's undoing disease. Jesus literally gives life sometimes to dead people, so there's dead people being raised to life. Like, that's a spirit thing, right? So it actually makes sense that all of Jesus' ministry is powered by the Spirit. Luke 3, 21 through 22 shows us this visual representation. Here's what it says. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven came and said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And so, you know, what's happening there? Well, there's a lot of things happening there. But but one of the most important things we gain from this is that Jesus has the personal presence of God with him in a unique way. The Spirit here is communicating God's, the fa- God the Father's love to Jesus, and then Jesus, operating in the power of the Spirit, is going to start bringing people to life. He's going to heal people. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to bring new life. He's going to bring new creation through the Spirit. And that's why Jesus has this cryptic conversation about how someone sees the kingdom of God. They need a new kind of life if you're ever going to see the kingdom of God, a spiritual life that comes from the Spirit. And here's one of the most famous passages about the Spirit in the Bible. It's John 3, 1 through 8. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Now, when we hear the words, let's pause there, when we hear the words born again, we tend to think of evangelical Christianity because even if you're not a Christian, that's, those are words that are associated right back with like Billy Graham crusades and the, the first great and the second great and the third great awakening and we hear born again and that's what we think, but that's not what they thought. Because in their day, your whole identity was determined when you were born, right? Because you're born into a certain socioeconomic status and you ain't getting out of it. <laughs> You were probably born into a trade, so your job for the rest of your life was probably determined when you were born because you're going to do what your father did, right? Um, Your family and your clan determine your identity, and so your whole identity is wrapped up in what family you're born into. And so when Jesus says you got to be born again, it's like, hey, listen, there's a whole new identity that's coming for you. Like for you to enter and see the kingdom of God, you need a whole new view of identity and it's centered around the spirit of God who brings a new kind of life, not just this natural life that you got the first time you were born, but this new life that's gonna come up in you, this kind of spiritual life. Jesus calls it you know, everlasting life or overflowing life or eternal life, but whatever it is, it's not the normal life you got the first time you were born. There's something the spirit's gonna have to do in you the second time time that's going to give you a different kind of life. So now he continues. Um, Nicodemus says, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Well, we know that. But spirit gives birth to spirit. We maybe we didn't know that, but that sort of makes sense. And you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Uh, You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what Jesus is saying here, in essence, is that Ezekiel's prophecy, Ezekiel's promise is coming true. People are being filled with new life. 
new power, new power to love others, new power to love God, and it's happening through the ministry of Jesus who is filled with God's spirit in a unique way. And all of this is gonna culminate when Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world. So on the cross, Jesus takes the weight, the shame, the guilt, the humiliation of all of our sins onto himself. Although he did nothing wrong, he dies as a sacrifice in our place. But he doesn't stay dead. And whose specialty is bringing life? It's the Spirit. So look at what 1 Peter 3.18 says. This is our memory verse for today. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Because the Spirit brings life. Okay, now... Like, we've covered most of the Bible, two-thirds of the Bible now. And so let me tell you that this story that's this kind of great, epic, beautiful story of the movement of the Spirit through the history of the world is right about to crash into your Sunday morning and your Monday morning and your Tuesday morning. Because once Jesus is raised to life by the Spirit, the Father and the Son give the Spirit to everyone who places their faith in Jesus. So God's personal presence is in you and with you. You can have it as a gift. Now, what this means essentially is that God is not a distant, out there, somewhere, something. Instead, we get his presence as a gift. Acts 2.38, this is the first sermon ever preached by Peter, of uh, Peter of the disciples' fame. And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And actually, there's some real, there's some real logic and sense to this. The Spirit is holy. And so holy things and unholy things don't mix. There's actually this sort of like, in the Old Testament, you see this sort of like, um, it's like dropping pure sodium into water. It's just this explosive mixture of holiness and unholiness. Like the best example of this of all time is actually the, uh, the old Indiana Jones movie where they look into the Ark of the Covenant and their face just melts off. You know, I saw that when I was like 12 years old and it still haunts my dreams. Because it's when the holiness of God comes into contact with unholiness, the unholiness never survives it. So what happens is, think about this, Jesus, the blood of Jesus cleanses you and purifies you and makes you holy in God's sight, and now God's personal presence can come and dwell with you. So for anyone who turns from their sin to follow Jesus, you receive God's personal presence as a gift. And the Spirit is invisible and powerful and life-giving, and the Spirit is in you. So when you receive the Spirit, you receive spiritual life. When you receive the Spirit, you can live a life that's pleasing to God because he gives you the power to do that. You can love God. You can love the family of faith and live in community with other Christians. You can be an influence to those who are not yet Christians. And you can do all of it without the law and the Old Testament because God's personal presence is with you. That's the presence of God. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time today, I said it was a lot of Bible, right? Like, that's a lot of Bible. But here's what I want to do for the rest of the time today. I want to talk about what you have when God's presence is with you. Because I just want you to be clear of what God wants to give you. And we've got four things. 
Because this is not just a story about the beginning and end of the world. This is about a story about how, how God's personal presence is crashing into your life and the, the crazy difference that that makes. How you can know him, how you can be known by him, how, um, how you can get the help that you so desperately need to change into a different kind of person like Jesus. So here's what you have. When I have God's personal presence, when God's personal presence is with me, number one, I have spiritual life. Now this is on page three of your teaching notes. So now, if you place your faith in Jesus, God's personal presence is with you. You receive the Holy Spirit, that means you've got spiritual life. Romans 8, 10 through 11 talks about this. The entire chapter of Romans 8 talks about the life of the, the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But when it zooms in, here's what it says. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. And I know some of you are here today and you're not sure whether you have eternal life. You know, when you die, you're wondering if you're going to be, you know, peeking over the pearly gates or if you're truly going to be in God's presence, you're just not sure. But when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, God gives you his spirit and he gives you an assurance that you know God and that heaven is your home because you have spiritual life. He puts a, a kind of life in you now that never stops. It carries on for eternity. Um, I was thinking about this, that, uh, you know, when, when you're young and single, you don't have to think about life insurance nearly as much. You know, your job gives you like $10,000 to pay for your casket in case you die. But when you get married, and then when you have kids, oh man, when you have kids, you know, New, New York life is coming for you. Let me just tell you. And you have, to, you have to have life insurance because you have to think about what happens if I die. You have to face this fact, I'm gonna die, so I need to prepare accordingly for that. And if you don't, you li you're living foolishly. Right? If you're not preparing for the fact that you may die, you're living foolishly. And therefore, like when you have children, if you don't have a will, you're living foolishly. You have to prepare for your death. And so, so many people prepare for their death, but who's prepared for one minute after they die? You know, when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, God gives you eternal life so that when you stand in God's presence at the end of your life and you're accountable to God because God holds everyone accountable for their life, you can stand in his presence. And what do you say? God, I did a great job. God, do you know, God, do you know how awesome I was on earth? It's not going to cut it in front of the almighty creator. No, instead what you can say is, I have the spirit of Christ and I'm with Jesus. And you can know for sure that God welcomes you into eternity. Maybe your life is going the way it's going right now because you don't have the spirit of God in your life. You've never, you know, turned your life over to Jesus and put your life in his hands. And so you don't have God's personal presence with you. And so you've been struggling and you don't have the power you need to have healthy relationships. And so put your faith in Jesus and he gives you the, the spirit as a gift. Um, the most important thing it changes is that you have spiritual life that lasts for eternity. All right, number two, when God's personal presence is with me, I have intimacy with my heavenly father. You know, I mentioned before that so many people encounter God in nature, and that's a great thing. 
right? You're supposed to, when you see the Grand Canyon, think, man, there must be some powerful God who's behind this. He's a transcendent God. He placed the stars in the sky. He caused the Big Bang. He is the unmoved mover, the uncaused cause. He started things from nothing. But according to the Bible, he's also a close God who wants to be with you. He wants to hear about your joys and troubles. He wants to carry your anxieties and your worries. He wants to comfort you. He wants to pray with you and for you. And that's what God's personal presence does when the Spirit is with you. Romans 8, 15, again, says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. So the Spirit brings you into God's family, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And the word Abba is like our word Daddy. It's a ridiculously familiar way to refer to God. It's a word that conveys intimacy. Now, I'll admit this. When I became a Christian at first, the word intimacy made me kind of squeamish. I was, when I, you know, when I first, you know, started coming to church and hearing about it, my, my faith was more about the truths of Scripture. It was about, you know, I, I was like, I believe Jesus is fully God and fully man. I believe Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead and he defeated Satan's sin and death. And now I stand in God's presence you know, as though he were looking at Jesus and not looking at my record. And so that's where, you know, the weight of my faith was. And that's a great thing. And I've never really moved on from that. I still believe 100% that all of that is true. But the more I go through life, and maybe the more life punches me in the face a little bit, the more I've come to enjoy knowing God, that this actually now is the weight of my faith is in being with God, knowing God, knowing him through his word, pouring my heart out to him through prayer. Because, man, I just don't know how to get through life without him. You know, maybe that's weakness. Or maybe that's wisdom. You know, you'll have to be the judge of that. But for me, knowing God and abiding in him and and just being with him is the most incredible gift God could ever give to you. And you know, some of it is, if that doesn't bring joy to your soul, you're gonna hate heaven. (laughs) You know, heaven's this place where you get to be with God forever. You know, and living forever in a place that you hate, that's not heaven, that's hell. And so knowing God and, and having intimacy with the Father is, man, there's real joy in that. And that'll bring you through some dark days. I, I think about it this way. You know, we talk, I talked about how there's, I see signs that my wife is in the house, but when I have her presence, that's different. I don't want to be content with the signs that God is around. I want to know him. And when you have the spirit, you have his personal presence with you. All right, number three, when you have God's personal presence, then... When I have God's personal presence, I have the power to love my faith family. And I tried to pick words here that made it sound not weird. I couldn't find it. But here's the thing. You know, living in community, as if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can just actually check out for a little while. This is going to be nice for you. But if you're a Christian, okay, living in community with other Christians is not optional. Because so much of this vertical relationship with God he says is about your horizontal relationships with your brothers and sisters. And so much of what God says is loving him is actually loving these people here. And I don't know if you've ever tried to live in community with other Christians, but they're weird people. 
and they're hard to love. And I'm one of those weird people who's hard to love. You know what I'm saying? And so what you need is power from God that enables you to do this. You're going to need God's help because you're going to have to give and receive forgiveness when you actually live, when you move from rows into circles. You're going to have to speak up sometimes when it's uncomfortable. You're going to have to love other people well, and that's tough. You're going to have to consider others as more significant than yourselves, and that sucks. I mean, it just is, right? It's like I have to put other people first, and I don't always want to do that. So we need the help and the power from God. But when God's Spirit is with you, He helps you love others well. Let me share with you uh, Galatians 5, through 25 speaks about this. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is what God's Spirit produces in your life when His personal presence is with you. And uh, some of you have heard this before. I bet there's a song. Those of you who grew up in church, is there a song for this? Love, joy, peace, patience? There is. Okay, I knew it. It's all those secrets that people who grew up in church knew about that I have no idea about. Here's what Galatians 5 says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I used to think this was just about the personal character of Christians. And if you had God's Spirit in your life and you tried to walk according to the Spirit, He would make you a person that had a different kind of character. And that's true, but there's more, there's more here happening than that because you can look at the next couple verses. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This verse is in the context of how we live together as Christians, right? It's not just, you know, it's like God makes you, you know, he produces love, so you just kind of become a hippie. No, it's like there's people in my life, and I'm going to love these people actively, right? It's forbearance. That's something that happens in community. There's kindness and goodness. It's all related to the other people in your life, not becoming conceited, provoking, envying. That's all interpersonal stuff. And so when the Spirit comes into your life and changes you, He changes you into the kind of person who can love other people well. Here's something I've learned just kind of from being in churches for a long time. Um, Spiritual maturity is not about how much you know. Spiritual maturity is about whether you love God and love other people well. Because you can know everything there is to know in the Bible and be a self-righteous jerk. You can know everything there is to know in the Bible and you don't love your spouse well and they don't like being married to you. You can know everything there is to know in the scriptures. You can have faith that moves mountains. But if you treat the opposite sex in the church with disrespect, man, you're not a mature person. And so I've come to look for people who love well Because where you're finding love, you're finding maturity. And where you find love, you're finding the fruit of the Spirit working in someone's life. And so when the Spirit is in your life, you have the power to love others well. Now, I want you to take out your connection card for just a second. Go ahead and take this out. Because in order to love other people in community, you have to be in community. You know, life is better connected. And, you know, at a certain point, you have to move out of the anonymity of rows into circles. Circles are better than rows because when you're sitting here, it's, you know, this isn't really where you love people. This is where you listen. This is where you worship. 